Women in white dresses surround me after service like absent mothers longing for babies return to their breasts. Welcome, listeners, to Overexpressed and Out, a new podcast hosted by me, Jenny Burkholder, and me, Roseanne Liberti. Overexpressed and Out takes you on an outing that outs amazing women and their outward expression of healing. Today's guest is Jacinta White. She is a teaching artist, poet, certified corporate trainer and facilitator, and advocate for change. Her passion is to help others to better understand the role and value of arts as a tool for healing and building community. In 2001, she founded The Word Project, where she works with individuals and groups using art as a catalyst for healing. In 2015, she founded Snapdragon, a journal of art and healing, to provide a platform for those to tell their story through poetry, creative nonfiction, and photography. Jacinta, thank you so much for being with us on Overexpressed and Out. We'd love for you to start by sharing with our listeners something that brings you joy and why. Well, if I may, first, thank you for the invitation to share this space with you. I'm really excited about our conversation. What brings me joy? When I first hear that question, I think of my bed. Oh, my goodness. I love my bad. And the reason is, of course, it's function. It's where I rest, it's where I sleep, but it's also where I dream and it's where I journal and it's where ideas come from and it's where I feel whole and easy and vulnerable and messy and free. It's just all of the things. So it's where I love to return at the end of the day. And I'm, I'm, I love my bed. It brings me joy. <laughs> I love that. You founded the Word Project in 2001. We'd like to hear you describe this project. And how did you find your way to this work? Oh, goodness. That's, that is a loaded question. Um, but I love, I love to talk about it. I had my first poem published the winter of 1996. I was living in Detroit, had my first poem published in a magazine there, and I shared it with my dad. My dad and I, you know, I'm daddy's girl all the way. And he appreciated the poem and spoke about always wanting to write a book, not a book of poetry, but writing a book. A few months later, he had a massive heart attack. And I was with him, and he was, as far as we knew, in great health. He was 53. Poetry became my, I, I describe it as a lifeline. It became my lifeline. It became my altar. And years after he passed, I looked at the poems that I wrote and I noticed that it chronicled my healing journey and it was cathartic. And I knew that I wanted to help others find their way with grief and with endings and with the messiness of life and find joy uh, through writing and through art. So that's that's why I started the Word Project. It's why I will always 
uh, write myself and invite others to do the same. You mentioned the passing of your father and how writing was so cathartic for you. What is it about poetry specifically that you think offers a space for healing? Writing for me was cathartic because I could put all of my emotions on the page. I didn't have to worry about hurting someone's feelings. I didn't have to worry about someone trying to give me advice. <laughs> you know, they're, this is going to help you get over your dad and all the stuff. And I come from a religious family. My dad was a pastor and I had to really grapple with my faith. And I felt the safest to do that through my poetry, through writing. Um, so that's how it was. And I didn't know it at the time. I didn't go, oh, this is cathartic. Let me do it. This is part of the healing. Let me do it. I didn't know that was what was happening. It was a retrospect that I realized, oh, there's something to this. And then that's when I started studying it. And poetry, I believe, and others have said, the beauty of poetry and the healing as a healing modality or medium is one, the use of heightened language and that's what poetry does it elevates language so there's this delicious play with words that you can do in prose as well but there's just something about poetry that allows for that there is the use of metaphors and similes and images um there is also the short the shorter lines than you have in prose and the quick you get to it quicker at least i do so there are elements in poetry writing that I believe if you're, I'll put it this way. I don't think that you can lie and write poetry. I just don't think it's possible. I'm sure people that it, it is, but I feel like it gets to the truth quicker than one might imagine. So that's my opinion on the beauty of poetry when it comes to the healing journey. After the advent of the word project, you then founded Snapdragon, the journal for art and healing. How did that further your uh, own healing and your own poetry writing? Yes. It's interesting because again, I set out to do something not really knowing what I was doing, but in terms of how Snapdragon journal helped with my own healing, there's something beautiful, I believe, about providing space for others. This journey in life is not an individual journey. I mean, we go through things by ourselves, right? But it takes a community. And I think providing space, even though it's digital space, providing a home for people's work is another element to healing. There's the writing for ourselves and then there's the sharing and bearing witness to someone else's journey. And I believe that Snapdragon does that. It provides that space and that container and others hopefully gain inspiration, not just from submitting or from being published, but from reading it and from delving into it and contemplating the themes that we come up with. In terms of my own writing, to be honest, Jenny, it, 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 when I'm reading submissions, I'm inspired to write. But Snapdragon got to the point that we have editors, so I don't read the submissions. <laughs> so I do more of the admin, and that is not 
Yes, exactly. It's not inspiring. <laughs> so I have to really do better about my own writing practice. Uh, so I can't, I don't want to, I can't blame Snapdragon for that, but it also at this point has not really helped. <laughs> oh, but it's lovely to provide that space for others. Agreed. And it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for writers um, who are processing their own emotions and such. And you speak about learning how to deeply listen, trust your feelings, and learn to lead from the heart. My question to you is, how did you learn how to do all of those things? I am learning. I I have not learned. I I am learning and I and I don't know a, I don't know specifically how it's come to be. I think part of it was how I was nurtured as a child. I have, you know, a father who was very spiritual and a mother who was spiritual as a teacher and a public school system. So it's it's kind of what I was around, this deep listening, this being still. It was just the way I, I was born into it in a sense. And and interestingly, poetry, the writing of poetry slows me down. It's 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 a meditation. And I think when I write is when it's one of the few ways, if I'm honest, that I feel the closest to God is through my writing. And so it's a practice for me. It's a spiritual practice for me. I'm learning every day how to show up and be that and to remember that, to remember that, that I'm, that's important <laughs> to remember how to sit and be still and listen and trust. Jacinta, how do you bring that to your students? When you work with students in their writing, how do you bring that to the work with others? I, I want to believe that I I bring it where I am. I'm not perfect at that. I fail, I, you know, I, I fail at it, I'm sure. And so when I'm leading a workshop, for me, it's something that you model, but it's also providing the opportunity for people to breathe, like literally. And again, the way that I go into writing and my classes is to allow for space and to allow for stillness. And I'm not an instructor that's looking for the best poem. I am one that wants you to find out what's going on inside. And so that's, it's the experience. I'm hoping that they figure that out more so than me telling them. It's the experience of, oh, I just sat and wrote silently and this feels really good to my nervous system. Huh, this inner voice just said something to me and I wrote it and now I remember what happened and that's important for me to do that because in this busy, crazy world, I forget to do that. So it's more of the it's more of the experience, I think, where I bring that and then have them to reflect on what happened and then they pull it out that way. I hear you saying that you offer the gift of presence and also hear the idea you shared with us, presence to what is. And I'm wondering for you, is there a difference and what is that difference of being present and being present to what is? 
Oh, that's a good question. I have to think on that. For there's a there is a slight difference. I mean, we could be present. I think to say being present to what is for me means there's no judgment to what is. There is the acceptance to what is. So that's maybe a, the the caveat there for me. When we when we hear and that's become such a popular term, right? In, in this day and age, so be present in the moment. But there's still that opportunity of judging that moment. But being present to what is for me denotes I am and I am accepting this moment for what it is. So for me and my in my own life, it is a practice of giving space to that. It's I don't live there. <laughs> I don't live in, I'm just going to accept what happens and just not judge it. But I have to have some space in my world where I'm not in my head. I'm not in my head trying to figure it out or justify or not justify or judge or rank or correct or deny. Or I, I, I can't do that. I can't do that all the time. So for me, being present to what is, is you know, three minutes, five minutes of just the spaciousness of I'm allowing it to be. And for me, that's, that's freeing. That is so freeing. It doesn't mean that I like what's happening, but I'm gonna give myself a moment where I'm not wrestling with it. I can wrestle with it later because I'm going to, and I'm an overthinker. So I am not at all saying, I just go, no. <laughs> my friends and family would tell you that is not who I am. But for my self-care and love, it is a moment where I just can surrender. And I have to do that in order to function. So yes, that's, that's there's a time limit to it, Jenny. I can't, you know, <laughs> there's a time limit. But it's um, it is amazing experience when I allow myself, I give myself that grace to let it be. Thank you, Jacinta. We've asked you to share a truth or principle that you live by. Can you share that with our listeners? Trust the journey. That is it. I have it tattooed on my foot <laughs> as a reminder to myself. As I walk this earth to trust the journey. I love that. I love that you live by trust the journey. And I particularly like that you've ended with this. I noticed that you began our time by talking about your safe space, your bed. And I love the language you used there. It's a place where you feel messy and whole and all of these things. I'm left thinking about the fact that you've given us two incredible gems of wisdom. It's trust the journey and be sure to have and cultivate a safe space for yourself for comfort, a place to feel held and to hold yourself. That is so beautiful. It also feels like breath. It's this inhale, trust the journey, exhale, I have my safe space or vice versa. I, I deeply appreciate the symbiosis of those messages. 
Thank you. And thank you for putting it that way. Um, that's beautiful. <laughs> I didn't see it that way. So I'm taking that with me. Thank you for that, Jeff. Jacinta, we'd love to hear one of your poems. I'm, I'm honored to share. I will be reading from Resurrecting the Bones, the collection that you mentioned earlier. So Resurrecting the Bones began without me knowing it was going to be a book. Uh, my uncle, one of my dad's brothers, who's here in North Carolina, years this was years ago, suggested that we visit it, we visit the churches that my dad and my grandfather pastored before I was born. And we selected North Carolina churches. And every first Sunday, my uncle and I would get in the car and he would say, okay, let's go to this church and give me the dates. And I learned all this history, oral history from my uncle. And we would visit and I took a notebook and I would just record notes. And there were some people who remember my dad or remember my granddad and tell me stories and all of that. And I began to write poetry as a reflection, as a form of reflect, a form of reflection. And I realized this maybe could be a collection. And I wrote a grant to the local arts council, um, the Winston-Salem Arts Council here in North Carolina and received funding to extend my travel. So at that point, I stopped doing the churches related to my dad's ministry and I was in Texas and Georgia and South Carolina and other churches in North Carolina. And I also noticed cemeteries with these churches. And that opened up another uh, curiosity for me. And, and then we have Resurrecting the Bones. And the book has some photographs in it as well, <laughs> for those who may be interested. This is actually the first poem that I wrote. It's not the first poem in the book, but it's the first poem I wrote on this journey that I took with my uncle to visit churches in North Carolina that my dad pastored. And it's titled Church Mothers. Women in white dresses surround me after service like absent mothers longing for babies return to their breasts. Rejoicing prayers for a daughter's return are answered while they wait in line to tell me they knew my folks and how they knew me, young and pigtails and knee highs. They remind me when I was not yet full of the life I now hold behind my eyes, pain taking up space I thought no one could see. Women, gray curls spiraling from beneath the cloth hats twist both my arms and theirs. Take her to the altar, one says to the other. I am caught up in their strength, speechless and well taught to not resist this kind of salvation. We fall to our knees, caught by a purple velvet cloud and wooden rails, blood and water sprinkled on my forehead. Forgive they firmly whisper, their breath on each of my cheeks. Say you forgive. Thank you, Jacinta. That was beautiful. 
It's been an honor to have you here and to share the space with you and to talk about your journey and to highlight and out the work that you do, not only as a poet, but also for others and helping them to find their own voice. As you said, it's important to be able to sit still, to listen and trust. So I have learned a lot today. So thank you. Yes, thank you, Jacinta, for all that you are. We cannot thank you enough for the joy and the healing that you bring to the world. If you're interested in connecting with Jacinta White, visit jacintawhite.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. Jenny and I will check in and discuss cancer vacations. So for now, stay well, find the joy, and we're overexpressed. And out. Expressed and Out, a podcast, is engineered and produced by Roseanne Liberti and Jenny Burkholder. Special acknowledgments to the incredible talent of Raji Malik for the use of his song, Rejoice, No Crisis, from his newest album, Time of the Glowing. Find this song and others at rajimalik.com, R-A-J-I-M-A-L-I-K.com. Claudia Sessa for her advice, know-how, and patience. The Johns. Ryzen, Napic, and Flack for helping and believing in Overexpressed and Out. Visual designer and artist Nicole Kurtz for making Jenny and Roseanne into a logo. Find her at NicoleKurtz.com. And to all of you for listening, reach out and share your stories, thoughts, and reflections at Overexpressed and Out at gmail.